<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today's episode 437. It's titled, How to Live Like You're Already Retired. If you're a longtime listener to the podcast, that phrase and title might sound familiar. It was the title of episode 19, released in August 2014. At the time, nine years ago, our youngest daughter was in high school, our other son was in high school, and we had a son at university. The day that I recorded that episode, I had just dropped off our daughter for her first day of school. I drove out to our farm and recorded the episode, and I said, the one piece of advice to my children is to live like you're already retired. Retirement is the freedom to pursue the activities we find most rewarding. When you think of somebody who's retired, they can wake up when they want, they pursue whatever activities bring them happiness. Wouldn't we rather live in a manner today that brings us happiness and in a manner that could be sustained for decades into our 70s and 80s rather than put off our dreams until we're retired? I've thought about this a lot recently. I was listening to a class by Joshua Sheets of Radical Personal Finance. I wanted to support him in a retirement class that he's doing, and he records it live, and it's hours and hours long. And I've been just listening to some of the recordings. And the first lesson is on obviating retirement, where you don't need to retire because you don't want to. And that's very much the same theme as living like we're already retired. Create a life we don't want to retire from. In episode 19, I discussed two aspects of living like we're already retired. The first is more mechanical. It's to have an income that is greater than our expenses. If that's the case, if you always are bringing in more income, and usually it's a combination of investments, works, side projects, that income mix can differ over time. But if it's greater than what we're spending, then we'll never run out of money. And the only way to really do that, to get started, is to track what you earn and what you spend. I've been using Mint since January 1st, 2007. I was shocked how much we've spent since January 1st, 2007 on Mint. The top category was taxes, followed by home, which would include mortgages, followed by charity, shopping, and then travel. On a monthly basis, I take the output from Mint and then I put it into a spreadsheet. We do an annual budget. And so I, I put that month's expenditures into a spreadsheet. I calculate our net worth and I, I true up to see whether we are generating enough income that is greater than our expenses. And the idea is, is to never have to retire. I don't want to retire. And I have worked for the past nine years to structure a life that I don't have to retire from. On the expense side, an important aspect is to keep paring back, removing things, 
owning fewer things, to not get on the hedonistic treadmill. It's really easy, and I'm the same way. We suddenly focus on something new that we want, and we start doing all the research and, and doing comparison, and that can be intellectually stimulating. LePro and I did this a few weeks ago. We bought three years ago, a, when in the midst of the pandemic, we bought a camper. It was a 2002 Suburban that had been converted into a camper. There was a bed, it had solar panels, a refrigerator, paid about $16,000 for it, and have kept it. We were going to try camping. And turns out that we don't love camping. We don't love camping where we have to go find an outhouse in the middle of the night in Bear Country. And the ceiling in the bed was really low. But at this point, we've put so much in repairs, we just kind of keep it at our cabin and then just drive it when we're here in the summer. But on our drive up from Tucson to Idaho, the idea of, well, if we actually had a camper, we could just park anywhere. We could have our Starlink satellite dish. We'd have internet. And the idea sort of took on a life of its own. What would that be like? As we drove through Afton, Wyoming and Star Valley, we saw there was a brand new Airstream dealership. And we had looked at Airstreams. We like their base camp, a camper that's more sort of off-road-like. Let's go buy one. They have some. They actually have inventory. And then maybe we can pull it with the Suburban, but ultimately we'd like to get a, a different truck that has better gas mileage, maybe even a hybrid. And as we go through the numbers, it's, well, it's $120,000 for both of those. We thought about it a few days. Then, sort of once the excitement wore off a little bit, I did some math and realized for $120,000, we could stay at a hotel 60 nights a year at $200 a night, a really, you know, a good hotel for 10 years and come out ahead than having the camper and truck. And so we're not going to do it because the whole idea is is to find easier ways to do this, to pare back things to find joy in things that have patina, that are used, and not feel like we have to keep buying more newer things. As you own things that are older and and they, they have some stories to it, they have nicks, dents, could be a watch, it could be an item of clothing, it brings back good memories. It's a form of happiness. So mechanically earn more, more income than we spend, you can last forever that way. Ideally, that income, the work portion, is generated in a profession, in a job that you find satisfying. And if it's not, get training and try something else. Switch jobs. It's been 11 years since I quit my job. Sometimes I worry about money. That's just what we do. And I tell myself, there's enough. When I quit 11 years ago, I had a buyout from my advisory firm, but they were going to pay over seven years, and I didn't know if they would still be in business. They could have got sued or something could have happened. So I I knew I had to create some type of income and ultimately created money for the rest of us. And now I work with my two sons, and this is our business that we own together, and we thoroughly enjoy working with each other. But we don't know how it's going to turn out. That's just the way businesses are. But we're doing it in a way that we don't have to retire. And maybe the business changes over time. So that's the physical aspect. The second is the mental aspect, the, the attitude, the feeling that we're living like we're already retired. 
In episode 19, I quoted from Aristotle and politics. He said, some people suppose that it is the function of household management to increase property, and they're continually under the idea that it is their duty to be either safeguarding their substance and money or increasing it to an unlimited amount. The cause of this state of mind is that their interests are set upon life, but not upon the good life. The good life, in my mind, would be living like you're already retired, that you have freedom to pursue activities that bring you happiness, that bring you reward, that are satisfying. Aristotle didn't really define specifically what the good life is. If Aristotle played baseball, he might have described the the good life as hitting the sweet spot, the right spot on a bat, and how satisfying that feels, or a tennis racket. The word that he used, though, as a philosopher, Greek philosopher living in 400 BC, was the good life was a life of virtue. And by virtue, Aristotle meant taking actions and having feelings that were not excessive or deficient, that hit the mean, that it was the right amount at the right time, in the right manner, for the right reason. And he called it the golden mean, this idea of virtue. Robert and Edward Skodelsky, in their book, How Much is Enough? Money and the Good Life, do expound more on what the good life is. They point out that there are some basic goods, some universal goods that we need as a starting point for the good life. And these basic goods are final. It means they are good in themselves. They're not something we need in order to get something else. And they're indispensable. The first is our health. In order to live the good life, to live like we're already retired, we need good health. And that is certainly a function of genetics, but it's also a function of lifestyle. I take a nap every day, and I've, I have taken a nap every day since my late teens, except for that five or six year period when I had to work in a traditional office. But once I started telecommuting, I, I just take a nap. And it's something I, I picked up when I lived in Mexico because that's what everyone else did. They, they had siestas. I saw a report that taking a nap, this was some researchers out of London, that it keeps the brain from sh- shrinking. And, th- and there's different articles on it. And there's a difference of opinion on napping. But I like it just because it's a way to break up the day. I can work in the morning, do a lot of intellectual work writing, preparing for the podcast, business activities, and then I can get a small amount to eat and I can take a short nap. Maybe it's 30 minutes, maybe it's an hour. When I'm really tired, it could be 90 minutes. I don't, I don't set an alarm. I just take a nap. And that contributes to my mental health, my well-being. That's one basic good health. The second is security. The Skidelskys say security means an individual's justified expectation that his life will continue more or less in its accustomed course that it will be undisturbed by war, crime, revolution, or major social and economic upheavals. Having insecurity, home insecurity, can be incredibly stressful. We've been working with a software development team in Ukraine for about a year, and most of their individuals are based in Kiev, but they've been dealing with a war situation. They, the Kiev gets air attacks frequently, and the air raid sirens go on, and it's it's been instructive and inspiring to see how they have managed to continue to find joy despite all the pressures their country is facing. But it would be so much better if they had the security that we need as a basic good. The third basic good is respect, which the Skidelskys describe as a certain recognition that 
individuals take account of our point of view. They might not necessarily agree with our point of view, but they, they recognize us as humans and that we have a point of view and that we are someone. And they mention that we might be affectionate toward our pet, a dog, but we don't respect or disrespect the dog. We respect humans. And that means all humans. That means individuals that are begging in the street that are easy to ignore. Something LePron and I have done for a few years now is in our car, we have an envelope with $5 bills. And if somebody is on the street asking for money, we're just not going to judge. We'll give them $5. It's enough to go buy a small meal or, or something to drink. And we look them in the eye, and it's just giving that respect. And when people don't feel respected, that's when they tend to lash out in many respects. The fourth basic good is personality which the Skidelskys describe as the ability to frame and execute a plan of life reflected of one's taste, temperament, and conception of good. And they point out, as the French philosopher Montaigne, that having a private space, a room behind the shop, maybe it's a studio. My sister has rented a small studio in Cincinnati just so she could do her art and have it scattered out. That's what's called organized on the table, on a table. But just having your own private space and the freedom to pursue the activities that you want for their own sake, to express your personality, to feel like you have the freedom to be able to do that and the private space to be able to do that. The next basic good that contributes to the good life, a life that we all aspire to live, is harmony with nature. And the best way I know to get in harmony with nature is to take walks or hikes in nature. It's something that I do twice a day typically alone in the morning and in the evening or late afternoons with Laprell. Frederick Groh, in his book about walking, said, Think while walking, walk while thinking, and let writing be but the light pause as the body on a walk rests in contemplation of wide open spaces. Another way to get in harmony in nature is to let go of things, pare back things that distract us, that keep us from nature. They keep us from living the good life. And, and social media would be example. In Thoreau's time, he called it news, to the reading of the morning papers and how distracting that can be, because as soon as you read the news, it's not new anymore. And then we get into this, this desire to, to, to see something new. It could be so helpful to just quit that. Now, I read the news. I do read the newspaper every day, typically in the evening four or five of them, but I do them very quickly, skimming just in case, and maybe that's not a good habit, but I, I do it for my profession. But I have more and more quit social media. I'm rarely on Facebook. I'm rarely on Twitter. I just canceled our YouTube premium subscription. I'm second-guessing that one because I really find YouTube ads disruptive. I'm spending less time on Instagram, but the idea is to get rid of the distractions to allow more time to think, to just get into our head and listen and get accustomed to listening to our internal thoughts. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. 
NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one program and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com david. netsuite.com david. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The next basic good is friendship. And there have been ample studies suggesting that one way to maintain our health is to avoid loneliness. And the way to do that is to have friends. And the way to have friends is to invite people over. Invite them to dinner. Invite them over to your house. LePro and I have been so thankful that the pandemic has waned to where we could just have people over. We'll just invite a couple over and if they have kids with their children, and we'll just have dessert. Something simple. Maybe it's ice cream and cookies. Maybe La Perla makes something. Maybe we'll buy something. But we'll just sit and enjoy each other's company for several hours. And people, it seems, just don't get invited out very much. We Here in Idaho, we last summer, we invited a, a couple out for dinner. And we had done it the year before. And they mentioned, you know, we, we actually haven't been out to dinner with, with anybody in a year. They'd gone out on their own, but just having dinner with somebody had been a whole year. We invited them, and then the next year, we invited them again, and they went a whole year without going out to dinner with anybody. In March, we had an Easter egg hunt, something that we hadn't done in in over a decade. We used to do it all the time when our kids were young. We'd just invite a bunch of families over, and potluck. I spent weeks buying vintage eggs off eBay to use because we didn't have any eggs left, and we had 20 kids and over 30 people, and just had it outside for a few hours. And, and one of our friends mentioned how nice it was just to go somewhere and just be, and not feel like there was a program that needed to be followed. It just, just the idea, just having time to mingle and develop friendships, which take a long time to develop friendships. The final basic good, then, is leisure. And leisure is this sense when we do something for its own sake, sheerly because we enjoy it not as a means to getting something else. Last week, the novelist Cormac McCarthy died. He was a writer for its own sake. He had to be. He was a full-time writer, and he started writing in the mid-60s. But his first five novels were unsuccessful. He didn't have any of those novels sell more than 2,500 copies. In the late 1980s, 
McCarthy wrote to a friend, I have been a full-time professional writer for 28 years, and I have never received a royalty check. That, I'll bet you, is a record. So he got his advance for writing the novel, but he never earned out the advance because the novels never sold enough copies. He was getting some literary acknowledgments, but no one bought his work until 1992 when he released All the Pretty Horses, and it won the National Book Award and was adapted and became a movie starring Matt Damon. 28 years. Literary critic Diana Trilling says people want to be writers because of the promise of celebrity, by which most writers won't get that. So that's not a good reason to be a writer. I'll admit, I've written a novel, and I've written a published book, and I had visions of the celebrity that would bring the daydreams. And I realized it's not happening. It doesn't happen for most books. So that's not why we do it. But the other reason people want to be a writer, according to Diana Trilling, is because the life of the artist promises freedom to make one's own rules. And the freedom to make one's own rules is living like you're already retired, to having that freedom, that flexibility. And we need to do that with a plan that doesn't require us to become famous or to have celebrity or even to have that leisure task generate enough income. We can find other ways to get income, but the leisure needs to be things that we not do for money. We do it for the sheer joy. We do it for its own sake. In the nine years since I published the Live Like You Retired episode, one aspect that I didn't talk about in that episode that I've thought a lot about and I've read a lot of books on is time. Our attitude toward time is, I think, one of the biggest aspects of living like you're retired. To recognize that there is, there is enough time, that we, we don't have to rush, that we don't have to optimize. We're not trying to get the maximum amount of output. That's just too stressful. Jenny Adele, in her recent book, Saving Time, wrote, to try to reduce the rich topography of experience to a means of maximal output. The idea of we got to get the maximum done in the minimum amount of time. If that's what our day-to-day experience is like, she says that's part of the same philosophy that would turn its back on the ocean or to one's inner landscape where something new is always coming in on the tide. People that are retired or living like they're retired have time to just let things be, to let opportunities just arise, to not rush things. And when something happens, they take the adequate time to, to enjoy it to experience it. I found on my app a couple years ago, I realized that my iPhone was counting steps. And so then I started fixating on how many steps I was walking each day. I first did 10,000 for one year on average. It's like, well, if I did 10, I can do 12. So I did 12,000 steps every day last year. And then this year, it's like, well, I could do 12,500 up until yesterday when I took my morning walk and then it rained and we had other activities. We went over and visited with the neighbors, and I didn't get my steps in. So I think I probably did three to 4,000 steps. I didn't look because I decided this is silly. I know roughly how many steps I walk each day. I need to stop optimizing my step count. Let it go. Pare it back. Doing so makes life less time sensitive, less pressure to, to optimize, to just be, to let things flow in on the tide. Philosophy professor and theologian Adam Miller writes, 
Love is just a matter of time. Love is a question of who I give my time to and then how I handle the giving of that gift. Time like life can't be kept. It can only be given and I give it by paying attention and I waste it by being distracted. He continues, the essence of care is to pay attention. Rather than being distracted by the past or the future, I pay attention in the present. I take care. I attend. I'm careful. My eyes are focused. My hands are deft and gentle. I can tie my shoes without rushing. I can wash a dish without fidgeting. I can stop and listen without daydreaming. I can sit in traffic without anger. Whatever I'm doing, I can do it with care. I can care. This year, instead of having goals, which I don't typically set, I just have three words. And one of those words is care. Another word is breathe. Just breathe. To be present. And the third is time. To realize there is plenty of time. That I don't have to rush. That, as Oliver Berkman says, instead of just being time, it becomes difficult not to value each moment primarily according its usefulness for some future goal or for some future oasis of relaxation you hope to reach once your tasks are finally out of the way. We spend our life leaning into the future rather than just being present today and realize there's enough time. We don't have to rush. Another book on time I read this year was Time Surfing by Paul Lumens, and it's, it's a zen approach to time, and he describes time surfing as doing what comes naturally. When there's nothing urgent we have to do, when there's no pressure or obligation involved, this is our natural approach to time. So instead of having this list and checking it off and feeling pressure about it, not that there's anything wrong with lists, but his view is that subconsciously, we already know what we want and need to do, and that will bubble up naturally from our subconscious. So the elements of time surfing is to do one thing at a time and finish what we're doing. And then to create a breather between one activity or next. Get up and do something else that doesn't really take a whole lot of mental thought. And then you'll be inspired what it is that you do, you'll do next. And then when we get interrupted, which we do, give our full attention to what he calls drop-ins. So that we're there and present and caring for that given interruption. And to use intuition to choose what to do next. Sometimes I make a list if there's something I absolutely have to remember to do. But most of the time I don't. And I, that's just how I've naturally operated even before reading this book. So it was gratifying to read somebody that sort of addresses time the way I do. Instead of having this laundry list of tasks, I, mentally I know that they're just there. But I focus on a life of rhythm. I know that every Tuesday or most Tuesdays I have to produce a podcast. And so my subconscious is thinking about what should we talk about this week, or in some cases, who should we interview? But we naturally know what to do next, and if we can just step back and not be so time optimization focused, then we can live like we're already retired by having the right mental space to do that, which is a life of realizing there's enough time, and to being present, to being caring, to helping others to access the basic goods that we talked about. And ultimately, to make sure that we, there is enough income from multiple sources to cover our expenses. And if we can live and create that income in a way that's not oppressive either to ourselves and others, then we could sustain it for decades and not worry about if and when we retire because we'll already be living like we're retired and recognizing someday we might not have those basic goods like health, 
in which case we'll need some savings and some surplus, but it doesn't have to last 40 years or 30 years if we can structure a life with the flexibility, sufficient income, lower expenses, having things that we enjoy, having a a space to exhibit our personality, to have friends over, and to find the joy in day-to-day living. That's episode 437. Thanks for listening. I have thoroughly enjoyed teaching you about investing on this podcast for almost nine years now, but some topics are just better explained in writing or with a chart. That's why we have a weekly email newsletter, the Insider's Guide. In that newsletter, I share charts, graphs, and other materials that can help you better understand investing. It's some of the most important writing I do each week. I spend a couple hours on that newsletter each Wednesday morning as I try to share something that will be helpful to you. If you're not on the email list, please subscribe. Go to moneyfortherestofus.com to subscribe to the free Insider's Guide weekly email newsletter. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I'm not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and economy. Have a great week.